You are listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both, shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Hello, friends. Today we continue our eighth string figure with my guest, Ivan Marsh, a curator, artist, and raver who is leading a community house in Greece and a co-creator of Waking Life Festival in Portugal, an annual music festival for artistic experimentation and collective imagineering of the type of society we could cultivate if there was freedom to diverge from default reality. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Hi, Renee. Uh, it's really good to be here. And uh, thanks to Jakob for the invite. It's been so great uh, during this process of preparing the show, chatting to you about your work with Waking Life and your focus on sex, drugs and rock and roll and how you're really approaching them through the lens of counterculture. I think from the perspective of worlding, I'm also really interested in peak experiences and how they relate to the seasons and weather patterns within our own bodies. To begin, could you chat a bit about your current world and where you're recording this show from at the moment? Yes. So currently I'm at a friend's apartment in Neukölln in Berlin. And uh, it's, a, it's a depressing gray outside, uh, for definitely depressing for May. And uh, yet people here seem to be not daunted by this. Uh, lots of people, lots of bodies laying out uh, in the park that I'm seeing from the window right now. Um, sexy bodies uh, that clearly are pretending it's summer. People are shirtless, uh, even though it's windy and cold. Uh, delusional makes summer happen, even in bad weather. Mm -hmm. Because actually you're also based uh, in Greece in the community project. So I imagine it's also quite a different landscape for you at the moment. How does it compare being in Berlin, which I believe is kind of like a second home for you as well, to Greece? Uh, stark differences. Uh, so I'm definitely caught in a very bipolar reality. Um, in Greece, there is just an abundance of space and quiet and um, minimal stimuli other than a scorching sun and, uh, and, 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 a and the vast Mediterranean Sea. And uh, here it's, you know, urban, urban madness uh, fueled by ambition and ego and art and dreaming and madness. Um, and uh, yeah, just density of, of urges. Um, that's how Berlin feels. So moving between the two, uh, I think, is just the kind of thing that makes my nervous system both happy and gives it space to recover. Because in Greece, I understand you're running a rural community as a collective and working quite closely with the ecology there. Could you chat a little bit about that and how you're manifesting dreams in Greece? Yeah, this was a, this was a pandemic project. Um, the pandemic happened and I could not imagine living in 
uh, locked or an urban lockdown. And, um, and I was in an extremely privileged position to have a space in Evia Island near Athens. Um, that was a kind of a rundown house that my grandparents built, um, in the eighties and yeah, turning a neglected house into, um, a community house with several people permanently living there and welcoming a lot of, uh, friends and artists and friends of friends and now strangers, um, to come and rest and find some refuge there and also share moments together in, uh, during a period where there was a lot of separation. So it became a convergence point in a very calm, quiet uh, landscape, very dry, uh, just nothing but olive trees and uh, rocks and mountain tea and, uh, and, and very close to the, to the seaside. It's so interesting, I think, this time during the pandemic, because there was really this urge to remove ourselves from the cities, because all of a sudden, what really drew us here, like you said, this kind of urban hustle and community and networking and nightlife all kind of shut down. And we really found ourselves in these concrete jungles, which were heating up with the sun (laughs) rather than cooling down, like you said, uh, when you're a bit closer to the sea and you have a sea breeze. Um, so I feel like you're really on point with that. Like it was really kind of a, a zeitgeist that happened in that moment. Um, absolutely. It's uh, everybody was kind of going bananas. Um, everybody who I knew in uh, in the urban context and all they needed is a place to for people to be together um, away from uh, do's and don'ts and uh, and a general vibe of lack of trust, um, trust in information, trust in media, trust in pu- like public health institutions, um, in, in, in our neighbors. Um, you know, it was, it was really weird in Berlin also like neighbors calling in on people when they were, you know, when they felt like they were throwing a party indoors, that was not the, the Berlin I moved to. And, uh, and so that was the moment where I moved away. Obviously, the relationship still continues and is now heating up again as things open up. But uh, but this yeah, these two years of of countryside tranquility and being able to develop real intimacy with people because everything slows down in the countryside and you're just confronted with this blank canvas of blue sky. Um, so it, it, it sucks out a lot of things from inside. Um, the city fills you up. So it's kind of a slightly different, um, different process of what's moving. Yeah, I love that. It's so true because I think lots of people think this escaping, moving outside, getting away means you leave it behind and actually it's the opposite. It it meets you in a different way. You don't leave yourself, you know, you leave the concrete jungle and then another landscape emerges because we're rooted in the land. So, yeah, it's very true. It's just a, a different lens in that way. It's the invisible landscapes of the soul that come out. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) I'd love to go into Waking Life because the festival is coming into its fourth edition this year in August. And I know you're intimately involved. It's a very beautiful relationship, I believe. 
Yeah, it was, you know, we were in 2019, uh, it was the third edition and it was really uh, being met with a lot of external validation, you know, people who were coming uh, to visit, you know, as as participants uh, were really excited about what we were doing there. And it's, you know, it's a group of friends, uh, like a like a misfit family. Um Working, yeah, in the countryside of uh, of, of Port- Portugal, near Crato, and uh, around a little lake, and uh, and it's a year round year round project. You know, the festival is the festival is this moment of assembly. It is the gathering. It is uh, it is the pilgrimage that people take to reach there. But part of the part of the team lives on site and is working year round uh building new structures you know hopefully developing residencies soon um create regenerating the land regenerating the soil um portugal is a vastly a eucalyptus monoculture so um kind of giving back nutrients into the soil and working with it and planting and uh, and and designing the landscape in a way that's symbiotic um is is what is this invisible side to the project because the festival is this uh outward facing peak moment of it's a crescendo of creativity um but there's a there's a slow intimate um relationship being developed with the land and the community there uh year round so uh so we're excited to be back after 3 years um with the fourth edition and there was a there was a a liminal edition um, that we tried to do in the pandemic um, to create um, a moment of connection. And uh, we called it the space between, um, which was a combination of virtual and in-person events. But technically, uh, we're back in the fourth one this uh, this summer. So August is going to be pretty crazy. Mm, yeah, I'm really excited for you. I think there's also like a hunger at the moment around these shared experiences and rave culture because we have had this moment of separation. So I'm curious also how people approach it if they're coming and easing back into it or they're coming with this hunger to release things that have pent up over the last three years. You know, as as anything with the with human beings, you can expect uh, different uh, coping mechanisms and different uh, approaches to reality and surrealism. So I, I think there's going to be people who definitely ease in and, uh, you know, take their time and re- like awkwardly find their footing like a baby deer starting to walk again. Um, but I think uh, a lot of people are also going to go full on in. Kurt Cobain uh, rocket launched uh, burnout like a flame uh, approach. Uh, so we will hopefully uh, have a lot of work with the caretaking team to uh, to ground people and uh, let them know they can that other paces are also available to them. Um, but yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a. a a vast difference into how people approach this. The one thing I think perhaps uh, everyone will have in common is a heightened appreciation and gratitude for these collective spaces that I think now we realized are unsubstitutable. Mm, That's so true. I actually grew up volunteering on music festivals when I was 14. I was doing the wristbands at the front and then slowly worked my way into like hosting a stage and things like this. And I really fell in love with this ecstatic, open, all-in vibe that festivals really encourage. And 
I was reflecting on it uh, through our kind of exchanges. And I think really also this temporary nature enables that. Like there is something about these one to seven day experiences, depending on the festival, that really kind of allow for this intensity and this real exuberance of energy that create like a sidestep, I would say, from this everyday routine. So it's not outside of and definitely integrates because experience at the end of the day is experience, whether it's online, whether it's in Portugal or in your apartment. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Like how do you yeah, see these experiences and see them as enriching our everyday and integrating into our everyday. I uh, I would say that one of the one of the legacies that contemporary festivals and contemporary festival culture uh, has inherited is a notion of. I mean, in the Middle Ages, there was this notion of dance macabre, which is kind of loosely translated as dance with death. Um, this came in the wake of the Black Death, the plague. Um, death was commonplace. It was even laughable. Um, and it became part of um, of art, of paintings, of poetry, um, the constant dance with death. And there's also really cool Middle Age imagery, um, uh, Middle Age, imagery from the Middle Ages um, of skeletons dancing and entering this kind of carnivalesque state. And that is the baseline message of these collective peak experiences is that we and all around us is temporary. Um, it's it's one of the hardest lessons that human beings seem to have a huge difficulty in digesting, especially in very privileged, very comfortable societies. We really take time uh, massively for granted. And so these kinds of gatherings have... Um, they're, they're, they're a schooling in impermanence. Um, they really distill and amplify the sense of there will be a peak and then there, and then it will pass. Um, and it could pass in that you will go back to baseline to the ordinary, or you could descend, you know, from heaven a little bit into hell. And that's where you also deal with the lows, the low lows after the high highs. Um, and this dynamic state of constant impermanence is, yeah, it's a lesson that if you learn it, life becomes a lot more bearable, if not blissful. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. How they, how it resonates, these life lessons. I feel like also my memory of festivals is very much, um, like friendship and love often, you go with groups of friends and you meet people outside your group and groups merge. And I find this also very interesting in festivals, like this openness to the other. Mm -hmm. And also there is this caring of sight that doesn't happen perhaps if you're walking to the train station and you see litter, but somehow when you're at a festival, there is that moment of caring for the space around you and with the space around you and also, yeah, interacting with others in a really different way and a lot more open 
Um, agreed. At the same time, I'm not going to point you to the data in uh, the Waking Life Environmental Report of how many cigarette butts we collected afterwards. Uh, the number is not low. Uh, but at the same time, there is a heightened because this is this is the thing we are caught in a moment of, okay, this festival is a space for release and distraction. And that's why, you know, mindfulness and care can sometimes also drop because you're, you're so done with your default reality. It's so onerous and heavy that you just want to step out, maybe role play, maybe, you know, it just, just step outside of the confines of your often invisible cage or even a gilded cage um, that could be very appealing, but also limits your freedoms. And then you go a bit wild in these spaces. However, another response is heightened mindfulness and care um, for the other to notice um, if somebody's unwell, if somebody's feeling lonely, if somebody's feeling just a heightened sensitivity of those around you, um, and also obviously um, other life forms. Um, we're going to even have a team uh, this year that will be the baby tree guardians because new trees have been planted and they uh, they need a little extra care other than, you know, a little... Um, wooden protector uh so there, there will be some guardians for the little trees that need uh, need a little extra uh babysitting until they until they're strong enough mm. yeah i noticed actually it's great you picked up on the cigarette butts because it is really true speaking from different contexts like i know my context is very much these kind of pro-environment festivals and camping, living festivals where people spend a bit more time together. But then there are also the festivals like heavy metal festivals or festivals with different cultures around them. So, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. Not to not to really hold our own experiences as the general experience. I'm curious about uh coexistence at festivals. I think that's a great hook actually and a hook into worlding and how we can be together differently. I know in the explanation for Waking Life on the website, it talks about how we could cultivate if there was a freedom to diverge from default reality. Like, And I love that word cultivate. It's really cultivating soil, cultivating community. How does that work in reality? Like, are there strategies for that? Are there kind of things happening around the event that lead to that? I mean, already the text on the website is is creating that before people arrive and planting seeds in people's minds. I mean, it's... Uh... It's, a, it's an ongoing um, cycle of feedback loops because the people who are involved, um, a lot of people are also friends. So they will like we, we spend time together um, throughout the year. We try to make an effort to do this. Um, we travel to each other's places. Uh, we meet, we, you know, share food, share ideas, um, smoke joints late at night and brainstorm about what we want to do. Um, and then we interact and listen and, you know, bring new people in. But it's always, you know, friends bringing other friends and bringing, you know, younger minds. Uh, you know, most of us are already in our mid-30s. And so we're really excited when there's people in their early 20s who want to be a part of this. Um, 
And it's also not easy because it takes a lot of time. And until a festival becomes a bit more financially solvent, um, it means there's a lot of time and dedication that needs to go into, into all this that is hard to juggle with the rest of life. So you need to really be drawn to it. It doesn't really feel like a choice uh, for those who stumble into this. And similarly to you, I, you know, I started in my late teens volunteering at music festivals, and this was just a, an environment where I felt most at home because I did not feel home at home. <laughs> and this world, this temporary world that was built up um, was vibing with my brand of fantasy. So I was like, I want to not just be a passive recipient of these vibes and whatever this has to offer, but I want to have a hand in in creating it, um, shaping it for others, um, you know, putting some uh, toil, blood, sweat, tears, all the juices um, into into making these world, these temporary worlds happen. I know you're also involved in the Boom Festival in Portugal, which has approximately 45,000 attendees. And I believe waking life is around 7,000. So being involved in these two experiences, just when you're talking about the intimacy, I would be very curious on how that intimacy can be maintained as a festival grows. So it's very similar to to a to a to a small village. Um, there will be places in the festival that somebody will be drawn to. You know, sometimes yeah, that's what you crave—the anonymity of a large dance floor. But maybe you create crave a connection and intimacy in a much smaller space. Um, so a good festival provides an abundance of choose your own adventure stories that then people go on themselves and a diverse set of landscapes, nooks and crannies and opportunities to, to play and explore and discover. That's, you know, that's what you need. So, you know, after, after a certain number, you know, once, once we get um, to an event that's, you know, over a few hundred people, Already it starts becoming more and more and more impersonal. Um, but there's also something really special about this collective energy happening within a certain perimeter. Um, you don't need to be directly in it to feel it. You just, if you're around it, there is an intoxicating effect of people coming to be themselves, to to process something, to discover something, to have a question answered, to escape something. There's very few people are found there completely like caught off guard or randomly. Um, and, and even they get sucked into some sort of adventure or some sort of journey. And um, so you can find, you know, you can find intimacy in the big um, and uh, just as much as you can find lack of intimacy in the small. Yeah. These rituals and experiences that you talk about, they're also not new. They've been integral to so many ancient cultures, just as club culture is integral nowadays in Berlin and the city's identity. You told me the other day that everyone is working through something on the dance floor. <laughs> and I really love this. Also as a professional dancer, like I dance during the day and on stage for people. And it was really great to 
have that with me also outside of a festival experience like what is it just to dance in your bathroom alone like can you imagine that you're on a festival dance floor or can you dance on a festival dance floor as if you're in your bathroom by yourself I think that's a great idea this enormity and then also the very intimate and personal I mean Dance is so special because it's also so peculiar. Um, if you see, you know, if you, like if we see it in the animal kingdom, you know, often with these like crazy birds that do these ridiculous displays of of motion and color and 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 flight and and moving around to to find a mate in 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 strange ways. Like it's incredibly seductive, and I mean, this is dance is seductive in that it brings you in. So. You know, even if you're performing, all the people who are watching you perform are projecting things from their own minds onto your movement, onto the subtle gestures you're making. Um, are you, you know, is your mouth quivering as you dance? Are you whispering words? Like, what are they? People will attach and stick their own meaning onto what they're observing. And the same then happens when they're in the position of performer or of mover. And if you ever look around on a dance floor space, you know, even those who are just standing and watching, they, that is the way in which they are participating and working through something because maybe they're working up the courage or maybe they're just absolutely exhausted and still can't go home. Something is holding them there. <laughs> Whatever the reason, everybody is in some sort of process mode, um, in this, in this, um, kind of constellation of, of high energy, movement that happens in now rave spaces over a long period of time. This is also crucial. The fact that there is consistent dedication over a period of time and same as, as a festival, you know, a proper kind of transformational festival needs to last at least five, six days for people to pick up the vibe of the pace, the, the elements, uh, sleeping, however little, uh, each day sweating into the soil builds a, a relationship that is that has more substance than you know we go in one night we party and then we go home um, those can be super important and cool and radically transformational experiences too but in a different way there is less of this connection to space unless you're going regularly and that's why that again changes your relationship to the space because you become a regular um, it's something that becomes part of your reality that regular club night um, that a lot of people here can, I think, relate to. Mm. I want to come back also to the seasons and this idea of weather patterns and thinking about the body also as materiality in the same way a tree is materiality or a mobile phone is materiality and how we can look at these experiences as a season because as you're saying, whether it's a weekly one night, whether it's a festival once a year, there is something in these peak experiences that create a diversity of lived experiences, but also provide an outlet for other things. And I feel like sometimes a lot of us get very trapped in this kind of monoculture, Western capitalism of the nine to five, Monday to Friday, and the obligations that go around that, that it really is something that can be seen as a positive. I feel like sometimes in the society, 
in this society, especially talking about Berlin, um, there is this idea of it being counterculture, being disruptive to this idea of harte Arbeit in German, like hard work. And I feel like a lot of people are suffering from that and have been for a long time. So it is interesting, this shift now that's happening with Corona and people moving outside of cities, but also the resurgence of festivals. Like, I feel like we're ready for a really big, strong comeback. So there's a there's a little quote by Terence McKenna that I absolutely adore, where uh, where he goes, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are monotheism, monoculture, monogamy, and monotony, <laughs> and uh, and I think that uh, places like clubs and festivals and the cultures that they cultivate are an affront to these four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, it's all about multi and poly and, you know, going beyond binaries, um, sitting with the messes of a spectrum of this and a spectrum of that. Um, altered states are all about this shifting from a monoculture into a polyculture. Um, it's, it's often overwhelming. It's often a lot. It's often uh, exhausting and draining and requires sometimes a guide, sometimes a mentor, sometimes a crew, sometimes a, you know, a nurturing, supporting, supportive circle so that you don't burn out and, and crash or get lost in the abysses. Um, but this type of work in these types of spaces um, yeah, they massively say fuck you to monoculture and monotony and make life feel like it's worthwhile, even if it's just in our heads, maybe. You just touched on this low point um, with the, the difficulty and the exhaustion and the overstimulation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like they're so interconnected, the peak with the low, and again, looking at these nature cycles like it's so natural that you have a tidal wave and then the sun comes out and the water evaporates mm. how are people kind of navigating their way through that you mentioned some guides and some techniques there yeah there's no real appreciation of of spring unless we've gone through a shitty bleak cold leafless winter um, that that excitement of renewal and rebirth um, comes because we've had something that's been the opposite of that or something that's been challenging or difficult. Um, every peak experience in my life has either been followed by or preceded by a ridiculous low. And come downs are price tags for an exceptionally good time but also then seeing them as as teachers um kind of flips the script a little bit and you don't see it as 
punishment or a price to pay, but actually an essential part of the same thing, um, a, a way of appreciation, a way of maybe humility, um, to access humility, the fact that, okay, these are your limits. These are the, these, these are the limits that you can maybe work on a little and flirt with a little those boundaries, but they're there and they make you more aware of them. If you've, if you've reached those limits, you know, you, you are, you don't know they're there necessarily. They're a little invisible unless you start playing with them. And, um, and these are essential parts of what I see as growing up. Um, finding what are our own personal limits, but how we can constantly, you know, color outside those edges. Um, and, uh, and yeah, <laughs> and hope for the best. <laughs> I find that image of connective tissue, which we were talking about when we were preparing this show, of this internal investigation and exploration and often that being linked to a drug experience or a collective celebration or height of the senses and how that then integrates into the outside world. If we kind of play a little bit into this binary of in and out, even though we know it is again a fiction because we're breathing and inhaling and exhaling all the time, it's very porous, but also how the landscape of Portugal seeps in or the Greek island seeps in or the club and the smoke seeps in. I find this interrelation also very interesting in thinking about worlding that it kind of almost becomes worlds within worlds if that doesn't sound too esoteric. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's, that's also what we are. That's also what we are literally, right? Because we're you know, just assemblages of cells. And then there's colonies of microorganisms living both inside us and outside us. Um, so if we zoom in, we are definitely worlds nested in worlds, uh, covered in more worlds. Um, but at the same time, we are also like sponges. And we're, we're sponges for cultures and countercultures that we absorb how much we absorb, we're also not fully aware of because our subconscious is particularly porous and we only have fleeting moments of communion with it um, in dreams, in psychedelic experiences where elements of the subconscious, fragments, fractals of it come to the surface. And then what we're left with is an interpretation of that. Um, you know, every... Every unanalyzed dream is like an unfinished love letter. So it's our, it, it's up to us. It's our responsibility to, if we, if we so choose to, to read into these things and to find a way to get to know ourselves better. Um, but we are walking um, diffusers of the worlds that we've absorbed and, uh, and we carry them wherever we go. So that's why these gatherings are such fascinating spaces because it's all of these people and all of their life stories brought together for the same purpose, more or less, which is to be together, to sweat, to step into the body and step out of the default state um, and, and commit in this strange drive for hours 
to, to exhaust ourselves, to get to this point of devastation where only the essential is left. Um, and it's, it's one of the most rewarding and soothing feelings of devastation, this absolute exhaustion that leaves you feeling fulfilled somehow. It's quite paradoxical, um, but mega cool. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds mega cool. I have to say, I'm, I feel it already in my body. I've gone somewhere else mentally. <laughs> um, talking about that, mm -hmm. as part of this podcast, I'm inviting guests to share a proposition with myself and listeners so we can experience in the body your research is there a way that you could guide us through an experience now that we can feel into these peak experiences and the community and communal ecstasy that you're talking about? Uh, we can give it a shot. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that the dance floor feels like to me um, is like a re-entry or uh reconnection to a womb-like space. Um, often it's dark, often it's wet and sticky. Um, often there is a regular beat. Often this regular beat does feel like the heartbeat of some deity. Um, and, and there are sounds, but often amorphous sounds surrounding us. And often you close your eyes so the darkness becomes even darker. Um, and depends on what you've taken. There could be, <laughs> there could there could be also um, a kaleidoscopic explosion of colors, even with eyes closed. Um, and this is a very primordial set of variables. Um, it's very much like being in in utero, and uh, and this is the first state of tranquility and calm and also the first experience of life without any frame of reference, um, except for what's perhaps imprinted and really encoded in there. And, um, and, I, and, I, and this return to this kind of state feels like a recalibration, a resetting. Um, once you reset and recalibrate, this is why you also need to do it from time to time. It's not just you do it once because then life hits you and throws you out of reset. And so this is why there, you know, why rituals also take place in a seasonal manner and have pagan rituals have occurred according to the seasons or lunar cycles for, for a long time. So this is the framing. Uh, the exercise itself, um, I would just simply invite people to close their eyes, perhaps hug themselves, uh, perhaps uh, lay down on the ground or sit in a chair, um, perhaps hug their legs in, maybe feel contact between the thigh and the chest, just to feel this kind of sense of touch and, uh, and keep their eyes closed, maybe feel into their heartbeat. They can hear it somewhere, perhaps in their heads. I can hear it in my ear because of the headphones that are pressing against my blood vessels. And, um, and if they can hear sounds outside of the walls, perhaps outside of the place they're in. And, uh, and then maybe if anybody has a dance floor memory, try to re relive it now, try to call it back or try to astral project to that time. We'll do a little time travel as well. Um, and just see how it makes them feel. 
Do they feel connected or isolated? Do they feel more or less alone? Um, this confrontation with loneliness and solitude is, is often a reason why people come, uh, come to these spaces. Um, how this contact of the body feels. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's a fundamental question. Um, how do these spaces or memories of these spaces make you feel? And whether you will seek them out again in the future. Um, and if you do, what for? I have to find my way back to the microphone because I was just on my floor hugging my knees to my chest with my eyes closed. <laughs> it's a really great proposition. And I think also this question of why, because often mm. it's because a friend's invited me and I feel obliged or I like the person playing, so I'm going to see them play. But actually, what's the reason for you as an individual? Like, why do you choose to do that now? And this hmm. also really changes how when the intention is clear. And I think that's a great gift. Hmm. Exactly. If you've answered, if you've answered your why, it affects your how. <laughs> and, uh, and if, yeah, if you, if you know why you're in a space, it can really shift how you move in that space and what you do with the time that you've chosen to spend there. Mm, nice. I would ask uh, for you to pass on the mic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been an amazing conversation and also a great continuation from the conversation with Jakob around moss and community and how that thread continues in a festival context. And I'm curious where we go next in this string figure. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, always love going on tangential <laughs> journeys uh, around sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We didn't go into a lot of sex, but um, for another time. That's uh, when the mic stops uh, recording. <laughs> and uh, I will pass on to Vera Sholkina. Uh, a Russian somatic dance artist currently working on a project called Unplanting the Seeds of Hatred. It explores the effects of the Ukrainian war on Russian artists and people working outside of Russia. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for, uh, for having me. Yeah, what a pleasure. And I hope we can all meet again at Waking Life Festival in Portugal this August. I yeah, can't wait to see how these ideas manifest into a shared collective ecstasy. Yes, 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 yes. We are there for the shared collective ecstasy indeed. <laughs> Thanks. See you in August. Thank you for listening to The Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.